Good morning. So good to worship with you guys today and connect with you. And if you're new, my name is Ricky. I'm the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline, and we welcome you, those in the room, those online. We are so glad you're connecting with us. Today is Palm Sunday, and next week is Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate not only the death and burial of our Savior, but his resurrection from the dead. And we invite you to join us next week as we celebrate that and as we kick off a new sermon series called Comeback. And uh, we're going to talk about the greatest comeback story of all time and, uh, and how that can help you in the comebacks of your life as well. And in the back of the auditorium and uh, online, there are invite cards and media that you can pick up or download and share with your family and your friends. And so we hope you'll take those. I think they might even be in your seats today. And uh, please pass those out and invite people to join us next week. I don't know if you've noticed, but Americans are very... Uh, enamored with the British monarchy. Uh, there's a very popular Netflix uh, drama series. It's called The Crown. It chronicles the life of Queen Elizabeth II uh, from the 1940s all the way to modern times. Americans don't know much about a monarchy because we don't have one, uh, but we're interested in others, especially the British monarchy. Uh, you've seen that with Prince Williams and and uh, Kate in the news, and maybe uh, you are following all those things. But you know, there is a sense in which even we as Americans have a king who presents himself to us, and his name is Jesus. And today I want to talk to you on this Palm Sunday about a message I'm calling Jesus the King. And what I want to do today is take you to a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 19, where we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem and he presents himself as the Messiah of Israel, as the king of Israel, and also as the king of the world. And he presents himself in such a way that he reveals who he is and why he has come. And so as you're finding your place there in just a moment, we'll be in Luke 19. I want to I mention something to you, though, that's a, that's a concern of mine. It is not rare for me to see people walking away from their faith in Jesus Maybe there's someone here today or connecting with us or watching or listening today and you have walked away from your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're in a position where you're thinking about it. You're going through the motions, but your heart's no longer in it. And you're not sure if you believe anymore. And often those stories are tied to the trials and the troubles of life and the, the missed expectations of life. For example, I've heard people say, you know, I prayed and prayed for God to save my parents' marriage, but they divorced anyway. Or I've heard people say, you know, I was going through this struggle with my health, and I kept asking for Jesus to, to heal me, and it hasn't come through. Or you hear people who are saying, you know, I love the Jesus I read about who taught good sermons and performed miracles and loved all kinds of people, but I don't want the Jesus who's going to meddle in my life and get into my politics, or get into my sex life, or get into my attitudes. And whenever Jesus doesn't live up to their expectations, they walk away. I don't know where you are in your faith, but here's what I'm going to tell you. It is a tragedy to walk away from Jesus because he is the only person who can truly meet the greatest need of your life. And to walk away from him is to walk away from the only source of love and hope and salvation. In fact, what I've discovered, and I'll put it on the screen because I think it's so important for you to, to think about this. Some people don't want Jesus as king except for what he can bring. 
That, that if Jesus answers all their prayers and comes through for them and their problems, then they want Jesus. But if Jesus doesn't come through for them in the way that they think he should, in the time that they think he should, then they'll walk away from him. So many people in our culture have a respect for Jesus, but they really don't want Jesus as the king of their lives unless he brings to them what they want him to bring. And when he doesn't meet their expectations, they walk out. When he doesn't come through for them, they're through with him. Many years ago, I sat in the waiting room of South Georgia Medical Center, and in that waiting room, there was a vending machine, and we, we in the waiting room watched this guy go up to the vending machine, look at the different items on display there, took out his, his money, put it in the machine, punched the right buttons. The, the vending machine begins to hum, and the dispenser begins to whirl, but his treat never came. It was stuck in the vending machine. And everybody was surprised, not that the vending machine didn't work. That's just something you have to deal with from time to time. But we were surprised at his response. He let out some cuss words. He started pushing and rocking the machine and could not get his treat. And he walked out and stormed out frustrated. And I wonder sometimes if that's not how we treat Jesus, like he's a spiritual vending machine. We put in our prayers and we put in our money and we put in our religious deeds and then we expect Jesus to come through whenever we want something from him. And often he's not the kind of king that we think he ought to be. He's not doing what we think he should do. He's not coming through when we think he should come through. He's not giving us what we think we deserve and we are tempted to walk away. But Jesus may not be the king you always want, but he is the king you need. And we have to accept Jesus on his terms, not on our terms. You see, here's the thing about him being the king. That means he's the king. We're not. <laughs> that means he's the sovereign. That means he is supreme. We are not. And when he presents himself to us today, we'll discover that he's the kind of king that we need. Let's take our Bibles and, and why don't we turn to uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28, and we're going to discover Jesus may not always be the king you want, but he is the king you need. Here in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, this is Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem for the last time before his crucifixion. This is the last week. It's called the Passion Week, the week of his death. And so we read in verse 28, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Luke presents the city of Jerusalem as the city of destiny for Jesus. Jesus has set his uh, eyes on Jerusalem. He is going there knowing full well what's going to happen when he gets there. He's going to die for our sins. Verse 29, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. We don't know who, by the way. Verse 30, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32, so those who were sent away uh, went away and found it just as he had told them. Verse 33, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? 
And they said, the Lord has need of it. We stop there for a moment and we discover what Jesus is doing. Jesus is arranging the details of his parade into the city. Jesus is actually acting out a parable through his own actions of showing the people what kind of king, what kind of Messiah he really is. And so he has everything under control. Contrary to what some people will claim this Easter, contrary to the popular opinion that, well, Jesus had good intentions, but things got out of hand, and he accidentally ended up being condemned by the Jews and crucified by the Romans, but he never intended it to be that way. That is absolutely not true. He was in charge of every aspect of every moment going into Jerusalem for that last week, and he knew what he was doing. And he, he says to two of his disciples, I want you to go ahead and find a colt and bring it to me. If anybody asks you why you're untying it, you just tell them the Lord, the sovereign, has need of this colt. You see, the king's prerogative overrides the owner's prerogative. The king has the authority to commandeer what he needs. And Jesus says, I've got this all in control. Some people say, well, he must have known the owner of the cult and maybe he had this prearranged, but I believe it's more likely that Jesus is demonstrating his prophetic insight. He's got it all under control. He already knows he's fulfilling scripture here and he's got all the details in control. He is the king in control. Sure enough, the disciples go and they find it just like Jesus said. And so they, they bring the, the cult to Jesus. Verse 35 and they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. They take their cloaks, their outer garments, and they form a saddle befitting a king riding into a city after a great victory. And yet this is a strange parade for a king coming into a city. Shouldn't a king be riding this mighty stallion? This majestic beast that demonstrates power, that demonstrates victory. But this king is coming into the city riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey that's never been ridden before. You talk about a strange scene. And his saddle, not made of leather, his saddle is made of the clothes of his entourage. We also learn in the Gospel of Matthew... And in the Gospel of John, that the people go before Jesus and they start laying down their clothes on the ground and they start cutting palm branches and they lay palm branches on the ground leading into the city of Jerusalem before Jesus. And the reason they're doing that is they are demonstrating this is the king coming into the city. Look now, if you will. It says in verse 37... And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They had seen Jesus perform miracles, even raising Lazarus from the dead. And now he's coming to Jerusalem and the people are overwhelmed and they're excited. Here comes the king. We are about to overthrow the Romans and we're going to be an independent nation again. And here comes our king. Jesus wasn't the first 
conqueror to come into the city of Jerusalem using this very road. Even Alexander the Great had come into this city in 332 B.C. Pompey, Roman general, comes into the city of Jerusalem using this same road in 63 B.C. But they came as conquerors with military power and military force to rule over the people. And the people were going to have to sacrifice for the emperor. But this king comes riding on a donkey. It's a picture of humility. Riding on a beast of burden. It is Jesus' way of portraying, I'm a burden-bearing king. Unlike other kings who put burdens on his subjects, I will be the kind of king who takes the burdens of my subjects and I wear them on myself. And so the people are excited because they think he's coming as a military leader, as a political savior. In fact, they cry out in verse 38, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're so excited that finally we've got the Redeemer that we want who will overthrow the Romans and make us free once again. Make Israel great again, was their shout. This is the king to do it. He is the one we've been looking for And they're actually quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. For hundreds of years we've been waiting for this king. And here he comes. And now we're going to have peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We don't see it here in Luke's gospel because Luke is writing to primary, primarily to a Gentile audience who didn't know a whole lot about the Jewish religion. But we discover in Matthew's gospel that Jesus did all of this. He orchestrated the timing of coming into the city, getting this colt, riding on this colt into the city, receiving the praise of the people as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But see, they had forgotten this part. All they heard was king, and they assumed it meant political leader. It meant this king is going to do what we expect him to do. He's going to meet our felt need. He's going to meet our political need. But they forgot, no, the king that was promised to come to you comes righteous and he comes humbly and he comes to bring peace. Not peace between you and political enemies, but peace between you and a holy, righteous God. Because there is a greater need than political oppression. It is the need of your sins to be forgiven and for you to be right with the holy God. You can get everything you want down here on this earth. You can get the president you want. You can get the congress you want. You can get the governor you want. You can get the mayor you want. You can get the city council you want. And you can die and still go to hell. And you've missed the greatest need of your life. The greatest need of your life the whole time was not a political or financial or physical or relational need. It was a spiritual need. And these people are excited. 
but they've missed the kind of king that Jesus is. So the people are excited, but some of the religious leaders are not excited. Look at verse 39. It says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You tell them to shut up. You, you tell them how wrong they are. To take Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and apply it to you. You are not the king we're looking for. You tell them this kind of outcry of praise, and you, you receiving their worship? This is blasphemy. You rebuke your disciples and you tell them to stop. In verse 40, Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus says these people are right to recognize this is a, a moment in history. And it is right that they see me as Messiah, even though they don't understand the kind of Messiah I'm going to become and if they keep quiet on this day that God has orchestrated, the very inanimate stones would cry out praise because God's king deserves praise. And so Jesus silences the Pharisees for a time. And the people continue to praise. Sadly, Jesus goes on. We don't have time to read it this morning, but he goes on and he looks over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps. He weeps. Because he knows they don't understand the mission that the Heavenly Father has sent him on. They don't understand that he's come not to be their political Messiah, but to be their spiritual Savior. And I think that is an important thing for us today because what we discover as we read the rest of the Passion Week story this week, and I'm going to encourage you to keep reading what happened to Jesus. What did He do? Where did He go? What did He say? What led up to the cross of Calvary? You'll discover something horrific. You'll discover that these same crowds who are crying out in praise to Jesus on Palm Sunday are then later in the week crying out for His crucifixion and His rejection. How did this happen? How did we get from shouts of coronation to shouts of crucifixion by the very same people? It is because Jesus was not the kind of king they wanted. And when they realized that, they turned on him. They said, well, I don't want that kind of king. You will not be king over me. And tragically, we can do the same thing in our lives. Jesus may not be the king you want. You may not like the fact that He claims sovereignty over every aspect of your life. You may not like the fact that He comes saying, I came to be a Savior and you are a sinner. And you need to be forgiven of your sin. You may not like the fact that He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all in our lives. But it doesn't change the fact that while He may not be the kind of king you want, he is absolutely the king you need. You say, but what about my health? And what about injustice in the world? And what about suffering in the world? Dear friend, don't you understand something? Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, died for our sin, rose from the dead. We're going to celebrate that tomorrow. Don't miss that. That is absolutely the greatest miracle that has ever occurred. He rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. And he says, I've come seeking to save those who were lost. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever 
believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Your greatest need, he says, is to be forgiven of your sin. You can gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, you've lost everything. But He is the same Jesus who said, not only can you trust me with your salvation, you can trust me with every other situation. And there's going to come a day that I come back as that conquering King of kings and Lord of lords where every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess according to Philippians chapter 4. And on that day, all wrong will be made right. I'll create new heavens and new earth and new bodies and no more pain and no more suffering and no more pain and death. All of that will have passed away. But you've got to trust me to meet the greatest need of your life first. And if I can handle your salvation, don't you think I can handle every other situation of your life? I may not be the kind of king who works on your timeline. I may not be the kind of king, Jesus says, who works the way you think I ought to work. But I've already proven to you. I'm in control. I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing. And even when it looks like to the outside world, things are spinning out of control. You can trust me. So I may not be the kind of king you want, but I am absolutely the king you need. You say, what does that have to do with me? Well, I guess it depends on who you are and your relationship with God through Christ. Let me say something first to those of you who are already followers of Jesus. You have already trusted Jesus with your salvation. You have staked your eternal destiny in the forgiveness of your sin and a right relationship with God and eternity with God on Jesus and Jesus alone. You've received Him who died for you, who rose from the dead for you. Praise God for that. But friend, if you can trust Jesus with your salvation, you can and should trust Him with every situation. And all of us have areas of our lives where we want to be king and not let Jesus be king. We want to do things our way rather than surrendering to Jesus' way. And I want you to ask yourself, Holy Spirit of God, speak to my heart and show me where it is I'm not letting Jesus be king in my life. I'm not letting Him have His rule and reign. I'm not letting Him have first place in this area of my life. And you need to surrender to Him. The peace and the satisfaction and the joy and the hope that you're looking for is never going to be found. You going your way and setting yourself up as king, it only comes as you let Jesus be king of your life and go His way and follow Him. And let me also say to, to us who are followers of Jesus, let's don't ever forget the kind of king He is. He came meek and lowly with grace and sacrifice. Worshiping God, His Father, and loving His neighbor. And how can we as the followers of Jesus act any differently? If we're going to be subjects of this kind of king, it ought to be evident in how we live and love God and how we treat other people. And I'm convicted in my own heart that it is so easy for me to get caught up in all of the angst and all of the tensions and all of the divisions of our world. And I care more about making my point, even if it means pummeling other people, rather than just making a difference by loving God and loving others in humility and sacrifice. Can you imagine the way we would have a witness to this world if God's people started acting more like Jesus. Ooh, that's a whole other sermon. Don't get me started. 
But you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not one of those followers of Jesus. I, I think maybe sometimes I want to be and other times I, I, I don't know if I do. Dear friend, I want you to take your eyes off everybody else and everything else and I want you to put your eyes on Jesus who went from that first day in Jerusalem all the way to being crucified for you on a windswept hill outside those city walls of Jerusalem. And he did it for you. He did it because there was one and only one way for you to be forgiven of your sin. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You don't deserve it. So he said, Father, I'll take the sin of the world on my body. Punish me. And when they believe in me as Savior, give them my righteous life. Give them credit for my life. Give them eternal life. What a great exchange. And so today I'm going to ask you, would you let Jesus be the king of your life? Would you turn from your sin and trust him as your savior? I want to lead us in a word of prayer today where we rededicate ourselves to Jesus who are already followers of him. But maybe today for some of you in this room, this is the day you need to go ahead and make that decision to trust Christ. There's some husbands and some dads and moms and, and wives. There's some teenagers here today and some kids, some grandparents. You need Jesus as your savior. And I'm going to invite you today, trust him. Welcome him as the king you need the King who came to save you from your sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we want to humble ourselves before you and thank you on this Palm Sunday we can celebrate Jesus who came into that city of Jerusalem so long ago, presenting himself as the humble, lowly, gentle, sacrificing King that Israel needed. And sadly, so many rejected him because he wasn't the King they wanted, even though he was the King they needed. But many others came to faith in Jesus. And I pray that this morning, for those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus, that we would rededicate ourselves to Him, letting Him be the King of kings in our lives, the Lord of all lords of our lives, and that we would surrender to Him and obey Him and follow Him. And Father, if there's someone who needs Jesus, I pray that right now, in this moment, they would open up their heart. Because not only did Jesus walk into the city of Jerusalem with a royal welcome. We can open our lives to Jesus and let the King of glory come in. And so God, maybe today, right now, in the stillness of this moment, there's someone who needs to talk to you. And they need to say something like this. Dear God, that's right, friend, you can pray in your heart silently. God will hear you. Dear God, I admit to you I am a sinner. I believe Jesus is your son who lived a perfect life and who gave his life on the cross for my sin, for my punishment for my forgiveness. And I believe he died and he rose from the dead on that first resurrection morning, that first Easter morning. And there's a lot I don't understand, but I know this. He came to save sinners. I am a sinner. I confess my sin. And I confess my faith in Jesus. I put my faith in him and him alone to be this, the Lord and Savior and King of my life. And I take Jesus at his word where he promised that if I believe in him, I will not perish, but I will have everlasting life. Jesus, thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving me. Help me now to learn more about you so that I can live for you. Father, I pray that whoever it is that's called out on the name of the Lord, they'll be reminded you promise in your word in Romans chapter 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, God, for this wonderful promise. And we pray that whoever that is, they will not be ashamed to let someone know. Maybe a family member or a friend needs to hear the words, today I've committed my life to Jesus as my Savior. Maybe they'll let us know at the church. And Father, we'll rejoice 
as we can come alongside of them and help them in any way to grow more in knowing you and loving you and living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.